I don't know about you, but in this increasingly complicated world, don't you like when some things are made more simple? And today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus doesn't make things simplistic, but he makes them simple. And part of what he does is he uses something from nature. Uh, my wife is a preschool teacher, so we have conversations once in a while that she's able to teach important spiritual realities that even preschool children can grasp. And part of this is because God saw to it that not only the way he created nature, but also the way that he does different things in life, he can point to illustrations or metaphors that show us what he wants us to understand. And uh, so we're, uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John 15, John chapter 15. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use one of the red ones there in the seat back in front of you. I'd love for you to pull it out and follow along with your own uh, finger on the text. But um, if you aren't used to the Bible, that's okay. There's a lot of us getting used to the Bible here. It's about three-fourths of the way back. And uh, we're going to look at John 15, 1 through 17 today. If you haven't been with us, we're going through the Gospel of John this year. And we're making our way through these 21 chapters. Today we start chapter 15. But we're actually doing it this way. We're looking at encounters that Jesus had with real live people, everyday people, and we're seeing what we can learn from those encounters. Now, we said it a few weeks ago, but the first 12 chapters of John pretty much cover about three years of Jesus' life. Not every detail, but a lot of things happening in the first three years of his life. Chapter 13 to chapter 17 covers the last 24 hours of his life. And it's, it begins to just slow down. And it is some of the richest material in the Bible for believers over the years. It's just incredible. But these encounters are primarily with the disciples. So we're in John 15. And what I want to do is, uh, if you're following along, what I hope you'll see in the passage today is having left the upper room, Jesus says, I am the vine. Having left the upper room, Jesus says... I am the vine. Have you ever had someone walk up to you on the street and say, I am the vine? I mean, we feel like it was weird if they said, I am a vine. But say, I am the vine, that, that takes it to a whole nother level. And Jesus is using something from nature that he wants us to do a lot of thinking about. And I want you to imagine with me how this night went. Because if you can use your imagination when you read the scriptures, it'll mean more to you. And one of the things I hope you'll see is, if you've got your Bibles open, is the last sentence just before chapter 15 begins. The last sentence is just five words in my Bible, and it says this, come now, let us leave. Come now, let us leave. Jesus has been having this last supper, this meal with his disciples in what was called an upper room. And they've had a lot of things happen. He's washed their feet. He's talked to them about how he's going away, and they don't need to be troubled about that. He's taught them that he's going to send his own Holy Spirit, who is just like him. He's God the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be afraid. He's not some weird ghost, like sometimes the King James words used. He is the Holy Spirit who will help you, so you don't have to do things in your own flesh, your own power. You can now do them with the help of the Holy Spirit. And now today, he continues to prepare them for his going away by telling them something very, very powerful. And I want to tell you that it's in this section of scripture that there is a verse 
that I have returned to over and over and over again. I don't think there's a week that goes by that I'm not reminded of my need to practice and do this in my life. And it may become that precious to you if it isn't already, but it's found in verse 5. And it also brings up this idea, as verse 1 does, about how Jesus is the vine. So would you mind reading this out loud and together with me? And let's think about not only verse 5, but this passage we're going to look at together. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain or abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so here's when Jesus says, come now, let us leave, here's what I want you to picture They leave the upper room, they go down the stairs, and they begin to make their way. If you study John's gospel, you'll find that in chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, they eventually will cross what's called the Kidron Valley. This is a real place. You can visit this in Jerusalem. And so it gives us an idea that what they're doing is they're taking a route that probably took them by the temple. As they're making their way past the temple... Or as they were looking over the valley, their, uh, the, the hills, they probably either saw a vineyard or most scholars believe that what Jesus may have pointed to was this golden vine that adorned the temple. It was something that King Herod had added. It was made in gold. And what people that were devoted and had money could do is they could give money to have golden clusters added to this vine. Some of those were the height of a man. One of the historians writes. So Jesus either pointed to the vine that was there in the temple or he pointed to the hills and he said, I am the vine. And just like a nature lesson, he says, I want you to think about that relationship between a vine and a branch. Now we don't have as many vines here in the Midwest as they do in Jerusalem, but what was so genius about teaching this way is that there would never be a day that went by when they were in a community like that because vines were everywhere that they wouldn't be reminded of that. For us, maybe the closest thing is an apple tree where we know what a trunk is like and what the branches are coming out of that that bear fruit. But whatever it is that will help you think about that connection between a vine and a branch, Jesus says, I want you to think about that. I am the vine. I am the vine. So what we're going to do is we're going to make our way through that passage in just a moment. And I want to show you again how this can affect your everyday life. And you may be saying, like, why do I need this message? I mean, like, football's starting soon, Jeff. Like, help me. Help me understand what this is going to mean in my life. Here's what I want to tell you. This passage answers why you and I are here on this earth. And it answers what we're supposed to do while we're here. And I don't know if you're interested in the answers to those questions, but I am. Because I don't want to just waste my time here, Hunter. I want to know why I'm here. I want to know what it is that God had in mind when he made me. And I think you do too. So let's pray that he uses this time to answer that question in our hearts. Lord, I am. There is no way that I could ever help someone like you can. There is no way I could ever teach like you can teach. I thank you that you use your word and you have these ways of bringing it home so that our hearts and minds can understand it. And I pray you'll do that in these next few moments. I don't know how you do it, but I worship you for doing it. And I pray for every person here, even the person that's sitting here that wonders why they're here or may not yet be interested in you. I pray that you'll bless them today. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so Jesus challenges his disciples. And what I wanna do is read verse one. So if you're following along, you can follow with me there in the text. 
Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Again, they're walking. They may be walking past the temple or looking off to the hills there in the vineyards, but he says, I am the true vine. If you're following along in the notes, what I hope you'll see here is that Jesus is the vine. Israel fails to be in God's mission. Jesus is the vine that Israel fails to be in God's mission. Now, if you'll indulge me just for a second, I need to give you some background here. These disciples and Jesus himself have been born in Israel. We don't live there, but that's where they're from. That's this passage. And Israel is a tiny little nation. But it was founded, its father, the father of the nation was Abraham. Abraham had Isaac and Esau. And today, we know the difference between Israel and the Arab nations. But that all came back, all the way back, three or 4,000 years ago to Abraham. Abraham, God made a covenant with him. And in Genesis 12, he says, I will make you and your descendants a great nation. And through you and your descendants, I will bless all the nations of the earth. That's pretty powerful, especially since Abraham doesn't have any kids yet. And he's in his 80s. And God does this powerful thing. And God does bless. And eventually he creates a nation out of his sons, Isaac and Jacob, and their sons. And that nation, Israel, was always meant to be in God's plan, the vine through which he would help them be, as a tiny nation, a light to the nations that would bring salvation to whole earth. That was what God made Israel for. Not just to have a great day, not just to enjoy their earthly time, but to have this far-reaching mission where they were used by God to literally be one that touched the whole world. But if you're following, like I said, Jesus is the vine Israel fails to be in God's mission. Why was that vine in the temple? Because it became the, the, the symbol of their national understanding as Israel. It was kind of like our stars and stripes on our flag. And the idea here is that when Israel looked at Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 15 and 19, Hosea 10, all these verses talk about, you're my vine, you're my vineyard, he says to his people of Israel. In fact, here's one, Isaiah 5, 4. Look at this and what it says. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Here's the sad news. Never once is Israel seen as a vine that bore good fruit. They got caught up with everything else besides God, God's mission for their lives. Can you relate to that? They got distracted. They fell in love with other gods. They fell in love with other things. But they did not fall in love with God's mission for their lives. And they lost their love for God. And as a result, they failed in his mission. Why is this so important to say this at the front end? Because, friends, sometimes in the United States when we gather, we have so individualized faith that we think that all these verses in the Bible are about how Jesus can comfort me and make me feel good and make my life full. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the truth is, he is amazing like that. But what he wants us to understand is that he didn't just create us for self-gratification or self-satisfaction. He created us to be part of a much bigger mission than that. He created us to be a people, somehow, you and me, ordinary people like us, that could be a light in this world to other people and other nations. That could literally be a group of people that might be used to bless the whole world in some way, to be part of that. Isn't that incredible? 
So Jesus says, I am the true vine. Israel may have failed that, but now God is doing something here on the earth. I am the true vine, and every branch that's connected to me is going to be able to be part of that ongoing mission because God's mission hasn't failed. Israel may have failed. God hasn't failed. And he's the gardener, and he's going to oversee what's going on. And so this next part is that he urges his disciples to be branches who abide in him. He urges his disciples. You know, we talk about saying, I am a vine, but it'd be just as silly for say, I'm a branch. But the idea is, is, is this picture, this picture of nature. And so let me read verses 2 and following, and follow along, and then I'll make some more comments. Here's what it says. The gardener cuts off every branch in me. God the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, notice what he does. He prunes. He prunes. That's a, that's a, I'll explain that in just a minute. So that it will be even more fruitful. Now, pruning and cutting happen. Um, again, I didn't grow up in uh, the Napa Valley or Sonoma Valley, but I visited there, and some of you have been there too, and you know what the vines are like. And what happens is, is that there are all different kinds of things that grow. So we all know what weeds look like in the Midwest, but there are things with the vine that sometimes grow, and they're called sucker shoots. And these sucker shoots, they grow lots of leaves, but they never grow fruit. They're not the real deal. And so it's part of the gardener's job is to cut those sucker shoots off so that the fruit can be rich and full and nothing is dragging off the branches or the vine. And those sucker shoots are thrown aside. Can I just make a comment? There's all kinds of people that look connected to God, that look connected to Jesus, and they don't have any interest in Jesus. They only want to use him. They only want to be suckers instead of people that are connected to him in the way he's talking about. Those get cut off. Then he said, the ones that do have fruit growing on them, you're not going to believe this, but he actually cuts those way back so that it looks like they're doing really great and now they look bare for a while. Why? Because the long run, they'll bear even more fruit. Someone has once said this, what's helpful to remember when you're going through a time of pruning where something's being taken away in your life that you really treasure is remember that the Father's hand is never closer to you than when he's pruning you. And so Jesus says, this is what my Father's about. Just like you've watched vine dressers and gardeners do this, this is what happens. And so uh, he goes on and says this, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Let me read that again. No branch can bear fruit in itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Would you read verse 5 again with me? I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain or abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. We've all seen that in the fall, haven't we? If you cut off a branch within a few hours or the next day, you go back. Does it look alive? Does it look vibrant? No, it's all withered and dead. And Jesus says that's how important the vine or the trunk of a plant is. And he says, I want you to think about that picture. I want you to think about that connection. You know, some of us, when we think about being connected to Jesus, we think of it just as an external way. Well, I go to church, or I do this, 
or I do that, but Jesus isn't talking about that kind of abiding. He's not talking about that remaining. So what does he mean by this word abide? Let me just stop and say this, by the way. There is a great message that Pastor Steve preached on abiding the very first Sunday of this year. And if you want more help on this, I would highly recommend his message from January of 2012. But here's what I want you to see from the word abide. Abide means to dwell. In fact, that word dwell literally means to live as a resident. In other words, it's not just one of those things where you stay for a couple days and come back. It's where you live all the time. It's, it's your residence. To dwell, to continue, to stay, to live in. And then here's the phrase, and remain or continue with intensity. To remain with intensity. There is this vitality. In fact, I put the word intention in that last box in my notes as well. Because the idea here is that Jesus is saying, a lot of people put emphasis. I don't want you to think only on the outside of that connection. That's where a lot of people think the secret is. He says, that's not where the secret is. The secret is inside that connection. Not necessarily what people see all the time, but what's going on with you behind the scenes or out of view. So here's some pictures that we had before in January. Here's a picture of what they might have seen when Jesus was walking on that moonlit night. He might have said, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. And then here's a picture of what they were used to seeing up close. That actually, that tall up and down piece that looks like a tree, that is a vine. And the branches are those smaller, thinner pieces that are connected to the vine. And then you see those grapes hanging there. And he's saying, this is the kind of relationship I want you to think about because it really pictures what I want to have with you. And don't just think about that being an outer connection because actually what's going on that the eye can't see is that there is a sap flowing from the vine of me into the branches. In fact, here's what it looks like from a cross section. If you cut off that branch, you can see that that sap has been flowing from the vine into the branch. A branch can't pull this off, by the way. A branch makes no sap. Only the vine does. But as the branch is connected to the vine, that sap can begin to flow through the center of it, and it changes what that branch is capable of doing. And this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how you can do that. And I just stop and say just a practical thing. What this has helped me understand is that Jesus is not asking me to have a relationship that, where I just do the bare minimum. Where I just go, okay, well, I'll show up and, man, I hope this sermon goes fast. Or, man, I hope they get over with this song I don't like. Or, um, I'll give something in the offering. Or, I'll try and endure that person sitting to my right. That's just the bare minimum. What he's saying is there's this intentionality. There's this intensiveness. There's this giving both of the vine to the branch and the branch to the vine. And when they're both giving themselves like that to that process and that relationship and that mission, ooh, is there something to it? And when you and I, watching my parents in their mid-70s stand up here and learn new songs and listen with eagerness is such an example to me. Because I see what a branch can be like that says, I'll give myself to this. I'll keep staying hungry. I'll st keep staying humble. I'll be the kind of branch that never stops learning and never stops doing eagerly what God wants me to do with intentionality. Oh, man, friends, you and I can be those kind of branches. And that's what Jesus wants. But notice in the verses that follow, their part is to depend on him, obey him, and love each other. Like, how do I abide? What would that look like, Jesus? And he says, really, it's, it means to depend on me, to obey me, and to love 
each other. So let me read these verses, seven through following, and then we'll unpack that. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. In other words, out of that kind of relationship, you're going to be so into what I'm into, I'm going to, I'm going to bless your life because you'll, you'll have different kinds of prayers when you're into me like that. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, this is going to glorify God when you're into his mission and his mission is into you. This will bless the world. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now notice, this is not some mechanical relationship. He's saying, there's a, there's a deep love between us. That's why you're sad when I say I'm going away. But the Father's loved me. Now I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. In other words, if you continue to cooperate and live and want to do what I'm asking you to do, there'll be a richness to our relationship. And some people go, oh, man, bummer. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, not so that you'll be bummed out, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. What's Jesus going to do in just a few hours, friends? He's going to lay his back on a tree. He's going to give his life away for our sake. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. I made you part of this mission, Jesus is saying, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So I'm making my way through the message this week, trying to work on and prepare this, trying to understand what would be good for me to unpack with you in this. And the Lord showed me about the middle of the week that I was preparing this whole message without depending on him. You can be a pastor, and after a while, a number of years, you just have your routine. You just do your drill. Okay, I do my study, I read these commentaries, I make an outline, I get the message notes done, and I don't know about you, it's just so easy to fall into a habit. He said, no, I want you to depend on me, just like that branch depends on the vine for that sap. Depend on me. I thought, that's a good idea. He, he kind of implied to me, you might want to do this before Sunday, so like when you talk about it, you're actually doing it. <laughs> the second thing is, is just obey me. Obey me. And some people go like this, I want a relationship with Jesus where I don't necessarily have to obey him, but it's still a good one. And he goes, like, how would that work? I asked you to cooperate with me on that, and you go, no, I'm taking a pass. There's no way that can be a vital relationship at all. And then he says this really weird thing. Pastor Steve said there was a verse he hated last week, so I'm just doing a mass confession here. I did not get, I mean, I said, I'm supposed to like stand up in front of people Sunday and tell them they're supposed to love each other. What does that have to do between the vine and the branch? The more that I wrestle with that, I realize something. Once the branch gets connected to the vine, they're part of each other. So he's saying this, if you want to be the kind of branch that doesn't love my other branches, then you don't love me. Because the branches are part of me. And if you don't love me, so remember we saw in John 13, they've been arguing up there in the upper room about who is greatest, and he washed their feet, and he showed them how to love each other. 
He knew this was going to be an ongoing challenge to continue to love each other. But he said, this is about abiding in me by depending on me, obeying me, and loving each other. I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit. Notice if you're following along in the notes that staying vitally connected to him, by staying vitally connected to him, they'll bear lasting fruit. Staying vitally connected to him, they'll bear, ever, bear lasting fruit. Um, years ago, I showed this example in a service, and several people said that it was uh, weird but helpful. So here's what I'll do. If I take my right arm like this, and I say, this is the branch of my life. And out to the end here on my fingers, the tendrils there, is where the clusters of fruit can grow. And Jesus is saying this. If you abide in me, you don't have to worry about fruit. It's inevitable. Because I'll make sure it happens. A branch that's connected to me like that, it's inevitable. But what can happen sometimes is we can get so fascinated with fruit, we can go, really? The Lord's going to use me? Wow! And get so excited about looking out at the end of the branch to see if there's fruit growing that we ignore the vine. So Jesus just said, keep it simple, Jeff. Pay attention to me. You don't have to worry about if there's anything growing out on the vine, on the branch. It will. Pay attention to me. And that has helped me so much, wherever my attention is. So he says, just know that's going to happen. And then fruit. What does he mean by fruit? Sometimes the Bible uses words differently than we would use them. But here's what fruit means in the Bible. Fruit means more Christ-like followers. Remember the whole mission of the Lord? What was it? To bless people from all nations. To be a light of salvation to people. That means, he says, as you guys learn how to abide in me, do you realize what's going to happen? More people are going to want to follow me. More people are going to hear about the salvation that can come. They're going to say, the way that guy's connected to the vine, the way that gal's connected to the vine, I want to be connected to the vine. And more people will follow me, and the fruit of that will happen. And friends, we're here today because those disciples were faithful, and we've come to know Jesus, many of us, because of that. And notice it not only stands for more Christ-like followers, but also Christ-like character. Christ-like character. You know, Jesus isn't interested in some kind of performance. This is what we've turned Christianity into far too often. So a lot of us feel like we've got to look like we're loving, or we've got to look like we're joyful, but we're not really joyful or loving on the inside. He says, I'm not interested in that. I want the real character of my life to be inside your life so it's not phony. And if you'll trust me, I'll, I'll develop that over a period of time. Look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus said, my Spirit, my Holy Spirit, the fruit of my Spirit working in your life like that sap between the vine and the branches. What's the very first one, friends? Isn't that interesting? When Jesus gets his way in your life and mine, his kind of love begins to flow into our lives and through us. It's love. What's the next one? Joy. There's a joy where people go, wow, that guy seems joyful. I just am occasionally happy. They have a joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus. That's Jesus. Now his character is being formed in my life. So he says all that. But here's the last thing I want you to see in this section. He says, look, if you just concentrate on abiding in me, then your prayers, your love, and your joy will glorify God. Then when you pray, you'll pray God-glorifying prayers rather than just self-centered prayers. You'll have a joy that will be so winsome the watching world will notice, and also your love. Your love will be evident to the watching world. You will be part of this mission that God has never given up on. What do you want to be? That kind of branch or not? 
Can I just say where all the rubber hits the road on this? Most of us can hear this, but we are caught in the grips of the American dream. We are caught in the clutches of materialism that said this world is all that matters. What I can get right now is the only thing that matters to me. And so we go, well, I'm glad he's the vine. I'll think about that later when I get old and gray. He says, man, you don't want to miss out. You don't want to waste your one and only life giving yourself to something that's already dying. C.S. Lewis says, that which is not eternal is eternally out of date. That means that if you're giving yourself to anything other than Jesus Christ, you're, you're basically going out of style right now because you're not going to be doing anything that lasts. And that leads to this next part. Here's the verse that I told you has just stayed with me, verse 5. In verse 5, there in the gray box, here's the phrase I'd love for you to underline if you haven't already. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I just be totally honest? I didn't used to believe this. And sometimes I still don't. But when I do, it changes everything. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's just stop and think about this for a second. Isn't that ludicrous? Because I don't know about you, I have atheist friends that go, what are you talking about? I can do all kinds of things. In fact, there's a book out called Good Without God. <laughs> I can drive without Jesus. I can date without Jesus. I can eat without Jesus. Man, can I eat? And you can do all those things without Jesus. You can be a pastor without Jesus. You can be a dad without Jesus. You can be a mom. You can be a husband or a wife without Jesus. We can do school without Jesus. We can do all kinds of things without him. So what in the world does he mean? Here's what he means if you're following along. Nothing means eternally significant in God's eyes. When he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, he means nothing eternally significant in God's eyes. You will never advance the mission of God in this world in your own strength. I don't care how much you and I try. And so when you and I begin to believe that apart from me, we can do nothing, Jesus says. Oh, man, things start to happen. I'll just tell you two examples. Saturday mornings, I pray with a small group of people in this room almost every Saturday. And when I pray with them, we pray for our services, we pray for our classes, we pray for our life groups, we pray for the people that walk, drive by on the roads out there that may never, ever come inside our church building. And we pray that somehow God will glorify himself and that his mission will be accomplished in our tiny little church. We pray that somehow in this corner of the world, his mission will advance as we abide in him. But we almost always end that prayer time by saying, and the reason we're praying this morning is because we know we can hold services tomorrow and we may not be depending on you. We believe you. When you say, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can bear much fruit. And that leads to that next line. But in me and with me, your life can be fruitful. Here's another example. Trish and I, as we've prayed over the years, we've been parents now for over 26 years. And what we've learned, now that we have a granddaughter, is that we cannot help our kids be born again of Jesus. We can raise them in a Christian home. We can teach them everything Jesus taught. We can help them memorize Bible verses. But we cannot do this amazing spiritual connection that can only be done by God. Do you know how you and I get connected to Jesus? It's not by our good works. It's not because we believe all the right things. It's because, as Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Spirit must give you and I new life, or you do not have that connection with Jesus at all. Neither do I. 
The flesh gives birth to flesh, he said. That's all human beings can do is give birth to more human being stuff. We can't give birth to spirit, but the spirit can give birth to spirit. And Jesus says, if you'll trust me, with me, my spirit will do more than you could do. And we are so thankful that our kids are interested in Christ and have trusted in him, but we know we need to keep praying for them because only he can do something in their life. I've seen the best parents in churches and their kids are not saved. And I ache for that because I know it's impossible for human beings to help human beings become born again. But Jesus can do that. And I believe that apart from him, we can do nothing. This last thing I hope you'll see is that what I do with Jesus makes me fruitful or fruitless. You know, if Jesus is the vine, then what I do with Jesus will determine whether I'm fruitful or fruitless. If I'm cut off from Jesus, if I'm not attached to Jesus and connected vitally like this, do you know what ultimately is going to happen? No fruit. I can be the most successful person in this town. I can be the wealthiest, richest, most incredible, gifted person that ever lived or walked in this world. It'll mean nothing. It has no eternal significance. It'll be fruitless because it's so full of self. But if it's with Jesus, oh my goodness, the fruitfulness. So I want to tell you a story. Last night, I called my dad. And by the way, some of you, I know if you ever get tired of me telling my stories about my dad, uh, write me. Okay, um, no, no one's writing me, so I'm not saying that because I get letters like that, but <laughs> the reason I'm bringing this up is because I don't know how sometimes to explain some of the things I've learned apart from talking about my dad and mom. Because see, I grew up for the first 20 some years in their home and he was my pastor and I watched things happen in the church. So last night I called my dad because as I was preparing this week, it seemed like the Lord was saying, I want you to use this story that you know from your past. So I want to make sure I had the details right. Uh, in 1969, my dad moved from Iowa to Danville, Illinois, the thriving metropolis of Danville. <laughs> and there in Danville, uh, the first couple years he got there, it was pretty discouraging. Things weren't going the way he hoped they would. Some people had left the church. There was kind of an apathy. There was incredible gossip. And so he realized, man, something's missing here, but I don't know what. And so he got, had a lady uh, from Kentucky that was part of the church who asked for an appointment. And because she was from Kentucky, her normal style was not to get an appointment, it was just to talk to him, a very loving kind of person. So when she made this appointment, he thought, what's up? So she comes to his office and he said, dad said to me, she was perspiring, she was shaking, she was obviously nervous. And she said, pastor, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And he could tell it was. He said, go ahead. She said, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you. You don't love us, Pastor. You love the people back in Iowa, but you don't love us. My dad said the moment that happened across his mind and heart, he knew the Holy Spirit was saying, she's right. He said, I don't know why, but for the last two years, it hadn't dawned on me at all. This was like a revelation breaking out of me. I didn't love these people. I was being a pastor, but I didn't love them. And I told her, you're right. He said, over the next few months, God began to show him that that was his job, was to learn how to love these people and not just wish he was somewhere else. As he began to love 
They had what was called the lay witness mission where a number of ordinary people from other churches came in and spent a weekend there. They shared how they'd come to know Jesus and they asked other people to share their stories. It was just filled with warmth in our church. And so here's this church that's mainly gossipy and not all that warm. It was an unusual weekend. And that Sunday morning, one of the speakers who wasn't even a pastor said, if you'd like to give your life freshly to Jesus, come down to the front and just kneel here and tell him that. My dad said, he turned around and looked and there was over 60 or 70% of the church on their knees at the front and, and in the aisles. This is an amazing thing. That Sunday night, and I still remember this, I remember that event. That Sunday night, we had an open mic and um, there was a man in the church, he was really tall and uh, he was really grumpy and he was really crotchety. And I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just saying, you know what I'm talking about, right? When people just are. And I didn't know his story, I didn't know his background, but this guy, walks up to the mic, and I go, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, as a 10-year-old kid, I knew. Like, he's going to, like, ruin the spirit of this because he was critical and stuff like that. He gets up, and when he turns around to face Mike, tears are starting to come down his face. And he said, uh, he says, some of you know I've had a hard time with love. He said, this weekend I saw the love of these people that visited us, and I saw some of God's love in you. And he said, uh, I decided to open the door of my heart a crack to that love. And the Lord washed away the door. The moment he said that, I was so filled with a love for this man that I had been afraid of. And I could tell he was filled with a love for us. Over the next few weeks and months, I will never forget this as a kid because I wasn't sure what I believed about Jesus yet. I watched people in our church hugging each other. I heard during the week how people were going to each other and making it right about how they'd gossip with each other. I heard about how they were helping each other in practical ways and serving each other and putting each other first before themselves. And I knew, I knew we were in a new chapter. I knew the vitality that Jesus promised was happening. And it changed me. And it opened me to Christ. I was skeptical. Fast forward to a number of years later, my dad had been up in Elgin, Illinois. Trish and I had just gotten married, and on our honeymoon, my dad says, a church in Springfield, Illinois is called and asked if I would be willing to be their pastor, and they're really in a bad spot right now because they had a split in the church, and they're not really, there's not a lot of love. It's kind of cold in the church. So I asked the church, what do you want me to do if I came to be your pastor? And they said, would you teach us how to love each other again? And my dad said, I would love to to be part of that. He came down here, and I remember the first Sunday I ever came to Cherry Hills at the old building, no one sat in front of the halfway mark. <laughs> That's just reality. People were scared. People had pulled back. People had hurt each other, and it was bad. And I watched over the next couple years, we had a lay witness mission, and some people, everyday people came in there, and my dad knew that his job was to love people, I know as a pastor, my job is to love you. And part of staying vitally connected to Jesus is this. So I kept thinking, Jesus, what are you talking about? I am the vine, you are the branches. Love each other, love each other. And then I remember back in John 13, what did he say? By this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you love me and you love one another with my kind of love.
Can I just tell you? The world is cynical, friends, and they should be about us. My dad grew up in a loveless church. He never saw the love of Christ demonstrated. But when God began to teach him that, and one of the three things we say we're doing to fight shallow Christianity is love the Lord, love one another, serve the world. We want to do that in life groups because we can't just do it in big groups, can we? But it's no mystery to me that the reason we're voting on a congregational care pastor today is because as we get bigger, Cherry Hill still wants to learn from Jesus how to love each other. And if we'll do that, Jesus says, the whole world will know of my salvation. The whole world will see my light shining in dark places. Don't miss that. So the last thing on the notes is, what's one area that I can do more with Jesus this week? What is it? Is it the church for you where you need to practice this love and abiding with him more? Is it home? You know, some of us do a great thing here, but we get home. We don't love our family members. This week, the Lord showed me that's what I need to practice more. Is it work? Is it school? But I'm going to give you just a moment to reflect and listen to Jesus, and then we're going to close with a song that's a prayer. We're going to sing about everything that Jesus wants to do in our life and how he wants a vital connection with us. Will you bow your head and just ask Jesus, what is he saying? If you don't have this vital connection with Jesus, don't be ashamed, but be humble enough to admit it and cry out to Jesus and say, I don't have that. Would you, by your spirit, give me that gift of salvation where I can be connected vitally with Jesus Christ? I know I have a lot to learn, but I want to get started. Today could be the day. If you've already come into that relationship, but there are times that you find yourself unabiding or getting away from that, then whatever he wants to show you in these next few moments, listen to him and obey him. Now, we don't have grapevines in central Illinois that I know of, not many. I know a few of you may have had them before. But one thing we have is apple trees and things like that. We can all think about that connection between the trunk and the branch. This is what Jesus wants for us. This is what he wants us to be as a church, not just individually, but together. Can you imagine if more and more of us in this church family let him be the vine in our lives? What in the world does God have in store for us, friends? I think it's going to be great. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down front. But let me pray. Let me pray that if we find ourselves unabiding this week, that we'll get back to abiding. They'll help us with that, right? Okay, Lord, I thank you that you're the vine. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you get the glory. Show us how to be branches that you always hope for. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.